Welcome to the highest road, a path that leads from within our own being, where each one of us has a direct and living connection to Source or God. The highest road, the courage to claim our power and to take responsibility for our choices. We live in an interconnected universe. Every loving thought we think, every step we take in the direction of self-empowerment and spiritual integrity not only moves us forward, but improves the world at large for everyone. The world is as we are. Hello, everyone. Our chat today is about mindfulness. I first discovered mindfulness many years ago when I started exploring Eastern religions. And I found out that mindfulness is a fundamental tenet of Buddhism. But today, I find that mindfulness is everywhere. It's way beyond the Buddhist religion. There are websites and organizations that are dedicated to mindfulness. Scientific studies? There's even an app for it. Matter of fact, there's several apps for it. Yeah, I mean, like you, I would have become aware of it years ago, mindfulness and a lot of people associated with meditation, rightfully so, or you know, in the Buddhist practice, or indeed in mindfulness training, one of the things is to train people, if you're sitting, just to become aware of the sounds around you, or mindful eating, that you actually focus on what you're doing. So it's like about being present, about paying attention in the present moment to what you're doing, or to what's going on around you. And yeah, I, I think it has become almost mainstream, and it certainly has in Europe as well. People are much more aware of mindfulness. It's progressed hugely from being a bit woo-woo and a bit strange to being recommended by doctors and, you know, on our, um, call it our National Health Authority here, on their website, there'll be recommendations to do mindfulness and talking about mental health. So it has become much more in the currency of our culture. And I think that's very, very valuable that people are just beginning to become aware of the power of their mind. And that, I mean, it can take a while for it to really sink in. I think ideas always take a while to sink in. But even the idea that we might have some input into what we're experiencing and that we're not the victims of what's going on. And that if we have a knee-jerk reaction, that we can learn ways to step back a bit from it or even notice that knee-jerk reaction. The fact that you freak out, catch yourself, is actually progress, that you catch yourself doing it. So I think mindfulness, the awareness of it in the culture, is gradually making people or helping people to become more aware of the connection, if you like, between what's going on inside their head and what's going on in the world around them. So I think that's very positive. I think that mindfulness is a bridge between normal waking consciousness and meditation. Meditation can be daunting for some people, but mindfulness is just easy. You take a breath, you close your eyes, and you bring yourself back to present. It's an easy practice and good for your physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual health. You know, you were talking just a moment ago about stopping yourself, and I had an experience a few months ago where I was helping to plan a class reunion, and my part was to notify people about the event. As I was going through the list, I would look at a name and suddenly be back in the past, remembering that person teasing me, and in my magnificent magnifying mind, I put it on this big screen, technicolor, sense around sound, and I was right back there experiencing everything. 
But then I had a moment of clarity, stopped myself, and said to myself out loud, What the hell are you doing, woman? I stepped back and said, Wow, my thoughts were a runaway train, and I hopped on that train. That's really what mindfulness is. It's stop dwelling on the past and stop worrying about the future. I heard a great phrase this week on TV that was talking about mindfulness. And it said, the past should be a reference point, not a state of residence. I absolutely love that quote. So in that moment there, last that time you were moving back and living in the past there briefly and embellishing it, I'm sure. Oh, I definitely embellished it. I had a full Oscar-worthy movie playing. But we had the reunion, everyone was lovely, and we had a really great time. I've done some teaching of mindfulness, you probably have as well, and learning it. And the, the main instruction is like, you know, when you, especially when you're doing the sitting mindfulness, which is where most of us start. And, you know, when people sit to meditate or to do mindfulness, and in the very beginning, they may expect that they're going to experience peace and bliss and quietness. And of course, within about two seconds, they realize just how crazy their mind is and all that's going on. And they're planning their shopping. And then they're like you, they're back at their high school or they're back in the kindergarten. And the next minute they're planning, you know, what they're going to do in two years time. And they're worrying about their kids and they begin to realize, oh, my God, I'm my mind is crazy. And in mindfulness training, they always say to you that the moment you realize that, That is actually success because it's a moment of mindfulness to realize that's going on, whereas normally that's going on constantly, like in a kind of automatic pilot, and you're not even noticing it. So when we notice, like you, that you're running a whole movie or that you're going off like a runaway freight train, noticing it is actually a moment of mindfulness. And I actually feel that allied to that, For many of us in the West, and I've heard several Eastern, maybe Buddhist teachers or people like the Dalai Lama, some of them, you know, they comment on the fact that in the West, particularly, we seem to have propensity to be hard on ourselves or to not love ourselves or to blame ourselves or to, you know, be harsh with ourselves. Quite a lot of the time we do that or be competitive with ourselves. And so I feel, for especially for us in the West, that that mindfulness, it's helpful to combine it with what I think of as kindfulness, having a kind attitude towards yourself, being having almost like a good relationship with yourself about it. And because otherwise, if we've grown up in traditions, which many of us have, I mean, the closest thing to many of us that many of us may have come to around mindfulness and noticing our habits and noticing our train of thought might be something like, certainly in the Catholic tradition, where we examined our conscience and then we went to confession. And that was often associated with guilt and seeing ourselves as bad or as sinners or something wrong with us. So when we come to mindfulness, certainly for me, it took me a long time not to carry that over into it so that if I realized, my goodness, I sat down to meditate 20 minutes later, I've planned the rest of my life, but I forgot completely about the mantra or the candle or whatever it was. And it's very easy if we have a propensity to be hard on ourselves, to use that as a stick to beat ourselves. So I think the kindness towards ourselves is is very, very important. Because for me, I mean, mindfulness is obviously these times when we take quietness, when we 
become aware of thoughts or become aware of things, but it's also more and more becoming aware of our tendencies and our habits and what we do as knee-jerk reactions. And in order to do that with a positive outcome, I think to begin to cultivate a kindness towards ourselves, that we're, we're sort of training ourselves to think differently. And in a funny kind of a way, I was thinking this during the week, I think sometimes when you know you're going to be talking about something, it's uppermost in your mind. Mm-hmm. And since we had planned to talk about mindfulness, I was very aware of that this week in terms of certain things that I knew I, it would be good for me to do for my health, for example. And it's very easy, again, with that tradition of being hard on ourselves or, you know, the act of contrition or the, you know, through my own fault, all that stuff that I grew up with anyway, when I maybe eat something that's not good for me or anything like that, it's very easy to be hard on myself. And that in a sense, it actually stops you from making progress because the the guilt and the self-reproach get in the way. And I remember years ago listening to a teacher who said, and she said it humorously, but it came back to me this week, especially with things to do with our health and our body and or even seeing other people as bodies. Because in one sense, I think people listening to these podcasts will be aware that on one level, we know we're not our body. There's more to us than our body, right? And this teacher Mm -hmm. once said, think of your body as a pet that lives with you. It really helped me during the week because I was thinking, and I know you and I, And probably a lot of our listeners have had dogs particularly, but other people may have had other animals that we've loved very dearly. And if you think of when you're training a puppy and you're, you know, obviously you can't have them chewing the furniture, you can't have them, you know, piddling all over the place, or you can't have them, you know, certain things they have to learn not to do. And how do you train a puppy that you love? You're gentle and loving with it. You don't Mm -hmm. punish and you don't say bad puppy, you kind of you know, you distract it or you reward it when it doesn't. So you're very nurturing and kind. You can be firm. So it's not like you're letting the puppy get away with everything. But discipline with the puppy or with, say, a child that you love is very loving. And you're not seeing the child as bad or the puppy as bad. And I actually found this. I was almost playing a game with myself this week about it. And, you know, realizing, well, I wouldn't Say if, if, I, if I was tempted to eat more chocolate than I should, for example, all right, rather than seeing oh, I'm bad, I'm giving into temptation and all that sort of cultural conditioning I had around it, I began to think, well, you know, if this was my, my dog, honey, would I give her something that was bad for her? I wouldn't. So it sort of shifted my attitude. And I, I'm also, you know, at the moment, I feel it's good for me to get more exercise. And um, I realized, you know, if I loved that little dog, which I did, I would never let a day go by without taking her for a walk. So I can treat myself in the same way, take myself for a walk. And it's a kindness that takes the edge out of the sharpness. And what I'm finding is it makes it easier then when I catch myself having knee-jerk reactions, whether it's being unkind or maybe making an unkind remark or maybe going into gossip that it makes it that little bit easier to, it's almost like you'd say to a dog, stay, just stay there for a minute, Mm -hmm. Um, but without making yourself bad. And I think that's a very important, for me anyway, a really important aspect of mindfulness so that when I, because a lot of mindfulness, once we get used to the idea of what it is, is becoming more aware of how our behaviors, our attitudes, 
And sometimes it also means becoming more mindful of our effect on other people. Did we speak sharply to somebody or, you know, was I too demanding in that situation or whatever it is? And for me to be able to see that without using it as a stick to beat myself, but to see it almost like, okay, you know, I can take a step back here. There's nothing wrong with me. I've just learned some bad habits. Rose, both you and I use the words catch yourself or step back, and that in itself is the essence of mindfulness. I don't know anybody who's mindful 100% of the time. I know I'm certainly not. But it's just taking a few moments, a few times a day, to do that stepping out of your own thoughts and bringing yourself into present. Like most things, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. It's about more consciously, you know, cultivating that habit of, as you say, you know, becoming aware or catching ourselves. And even the, I suppose even the phrase catching ourselves sounds a little bit, when I, when I hear myself saying it, it's a little bit punitive almost, but becoming aware, you <laughs> yeah. know, but if you can make it into a, a slightly more, for me anyway, if I, I just, if I lighten up about it, I think that was for me very important. There should be joy in all our spiritual practices. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because right. in a way too, if you, if you realize, if you begin to realize that, say, the same, you have the same pattern of relationship, either a romantic relationship or friendships, the same things seem to happen. Why does this always happen to me? Whatever it is. And then at a certain point, if you become mindful that maybe it's something I'm doing and you become aware of what it is, as you say, that actually is an opportunity for joy because it's the key to changing is if it's, like, it's almost like what you're putting in, what program you're putting into your computer. Because I notice that when I'm working with people with radical forgiveness, and when the, the moment comes, that aha moment, where they realize, oh God, yes, I'm doing this as well. And I can just feel almost like champagne corks popping for them, because it's like freedom. It's the way to freedom. I think it helps us to become aware of our ingrained habits as well, and the set ways. I've, for example, I've seen some people you know, writing about mindfulness, and they suggest even simple things like if you always sit at the same chair at the dinner table, sit at a different one Mm -hmm. or whatever. Or if you go one way to work or to the shops, just change your pattern a little bit because we can very easily get into patterns. And it isn't about the chair or the way to work. But what it helps us to do is realize how many of our patterns are so, they're just rehearsed so often that we don't even realize we're doing it? There are certain times a day when I very consciously practice mindfulness. Some are when I'm at my desk working and focused on job things and decide to take a break. And when I take that break, I'll stop, shift gears, breathe a bit, and bring myself back to source-centeredness. I also start every morning with just a few seconds of mindfulness before I get out of bed. I will say what really amounts to a prayer. I will say, help me to be of service today. It's a connection with source. It's feeling the love of source. And that, for me, is the highest road. It's just that simple and that fast. It sets the intention that I want to be source-centered and in service. And that intention may last until I go to the store, someone cuts me off on the road, and I'm yelling in the car being anything but source-centered. But at least I'm trying. And I'm here reminded after I said that of what Yoda said, do or do not, there is no try. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. And you know, those very simple practices, it may sound like that's a very simple practice and no big deal, but in another sense, that they're the practices that really help us. And I'm sure you find when you committed yourself those twice a day moments, you probably sometimes comes into your head, as you say, other times to become mindful. The regular practice or the ongoing practice of mindfulness helps us to see some of the, or for me anyway, some of the blocks or the, the screens I've put up against my conscious awareness of source. So you become aware of the ways of thinking that aren't loving or the, um, you know, how quick one can be to judge or to make a snap, um, make a rash judgment about somebody or to maybe not tell the full truth or whatever it is. I mean, the, our, our connection with source is indelible. It is always there, but we can make ourselves not aware of it. Source is always there. We are the ones who move away from source. During that moment of being aware of source and being aware that our lives are co-creation with source, it's a very peaceful moment. And sometimes it can be being ready to sort of notice, if you like, the messages, but I used to call it once the message from the hologram, the things that pop up in our lives that are our opportunities. I remember years ago, I was just going through a kind of a phase of, I can't remember, was it depressed or just annoyed or whatever, but I certainly wasn't. I certainly wasn't my bright and bushy-tailed self that particular day. And I can remember walking locally and there, uh, the buses here have slogans and advertisements. Yours probably do as well. Yeah. And there was a, an, an advertisement, and I think it might have been for an electrical company or something, but it said, lighten up. <laughs> And I was thinking about this, you know, the last week as well, about how easy we can get into particular mindsets and habits. And there were just two things this morning, because this morning we changed into wintertime. So there mm-hmm. was that little bit of, oh, a little bit of disconnect. Oh, what time is it? Is it? Because it felt like it was, what is it? It felt like it was later than it was. And there was a little bit of an adjustment. Mm-hmm. And a part of me said, that's actually good for me, you know, not to be in a rigid frame. And then I went to the supermarket and between today and the last time I was there, they'd moved everything around in their great (laughs) wisdom. (laughs) And it was really funny. I found myself kind of as if there was a a sort of a a mindfulness imp on my shoulder commenting on it. But, you know, it was actually really good for me. I thought, gosh, I've, you know, normally with the supermarket, I'm going for, for 30 years. I know where everything is. Right. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I didn't. And it was really interesting how it made the brain have to readjust. Yep. <laughs> That's funny. It was just a, a small, a small thing. But like, I know where the lettuces are. Oh, where are they? They moved them. Okay. Yeah. And it was everything in that, especially in the fresh produce section and uh, the bread section was kind of the fresh food area. They changed everything. But it was just a surreal experience. But between that and the hour changing, it was like just shifting the goalposts a little bit mm-hmm. and realizing how rigid some of my goalposts were. That was the other thing. <laughs> for me, meditation and mindfulness are very closely connected, you know. Mm-hmm. And I can remember when I learned meditation first and one of the instructions was that if you noticed an emotion coming up during your meditation, that they, the recommendation was to not get too involved in the storyline that caused the emotion, that you think caused the emotion, but just to gently let your attention focus on the body. And you would nearly always find 
a connection between the body and the emotion. So if it was fear, for example, you might notice in your stomach or anger, you might notice it in your chest or wherever. So that it, it, what it helped you to do is not to get into the storyline because that gets you off on tangents, but just to allow yourself to let your attention be on, save it with your stomach, not to let your attention be on the stomach so that you could change it. It was letting your attention just be with it without trying to change it. Letting it be, just kind of being with it until it no longer drew your attention, as it were. And that came back to me because in the last few weeks, one of, well, for a while, it's happened to me that I'm having trouble sleeping. And there are lots of reasons for not being able to sleep. It's becoming quite a nuisance for me. And I was coming to the point where I was relying a little bit on non-prescription over-the-counter sleep remedies. I didn't take them a lot, but I was taking them Mm -hmm. more often than I would like to. And then, of course, in the morning, I'd have to have some caffeine to wake myself up. And I knew that I was getting out of balance, but I noticed it was really strange because I noticed then going to bed, I'd begin to get anxious about whether I would sleep or not. And I could feel the anxiety. And of course, that chases it away. And and then what I found myself doing, I'd always get to sleep and then I'd wake up in the middle of the night. And with the anxiety, I would immediately then resort to taking some either some natural remedy or some over-the-counter remedy. Now, not the most healthy habit, but I'm sure a lot of people do it. Mm -hmm. So I did that for a while. And then, since we've been talking about mindfulness, I began to realize, you know, I'm actually not letting that play out in my system. So I decided, just kindly but firmly, like I was the puppy I was training, that I wouldn't take anything and I would just allow myself to feel the anxiety And allow myself to lie there without going to sleep, maybe listen to something on my tablet, but just not feel that I had to go to sleep. And so I allowed myself to do that for a few nights. And the last night or two, a lot of that anxiety is going because it's like becoming okay with it. It's like becoming accepting of anxiety and realizing it's just anxiety. I don't mean just, but it's anxiety. It's some kind of emotional reaction. I don't need to know what caused it, but I can actually just allow it and be with it and not resist it. And so I think a lot of mindfulness training, even in the meditation practice, which most people have done, either TM or Buddhist meditation, and a lot of it is about not resisting or not trying to change yourself. It's almost like when you accept it, then it can go. When you're resisting it or pushing against it or trying to numb it or stifle it, then it will persist. It was really helpful to me this week to remember that aspect of mindfulness, to allow yourself to feel uncomfortable for a little while. That could be in terms of eating. It could be in terms of, especially if people have a habit of getting angry very quickly, for example, or making sarcastic remarks, that you just catch yourself and allow yourself to feel that little bit of discomfort without going all the way of actually saying the thing. It's a good practice because we will probably never know where those emotions come from. Because our reactions to things are formed in our very early years, sometimes pre-verbal. Anything can bring out an emotion. Allowing it, being with it, being at peace with it, and inviting Source to be with it is mindfulness at its best. That's so Mm -hmm. rich, isn't it? What you said there just reminded me too that I think particularly in our culture, we can sometimes, there can be kind of a, almost like a conditioning 
to feel that we have to be happy all the time. But I remember there's actually a really good book, I can't remember the author, which is called The Happiness Trap, right? And that we have to be happy all the time or certainly not unhappy. And so it's accepting the fact that there are, it's almost like there are, um, if you think of a spectrum of color, that there are, if any color has its light and dark shades or a piano has black keys and white keys or it has deep notes and high notes and that full spectrum of feeling that it's okay and it's okay sometimes to have a bit of sadness or it's okay to have regret. It's okay to have, to realize maybe that we don't love somebody, right? It's not that ideally we would, we would love somebody, but if we don't feel love or if we feel a dislike, not that we would act on it, but accept the fact that our feelings, that they're not black and white, there's more color. There's, so in a sense, being able to accept the spectrum of feelings without feeling that if they're not absolutely positive, we have to do something about it. Because you know that thing in, um, it's in Khalil Gibran, your joy is your sorrow mm-hmm. unmasked. And the deeper your sadness, the more joy you can contain. Your joy is, so he talks about that, that it's, you know, to be okay with the full spectrum of feeling and not to feel that we have to be on the positive side of that all the time. My friend's husband just passed away. She's my oldest friend. I've known her since I was three years old. She's deep in grief right now. And while I want to help her, there's not much I can do. She needs to go through this process. All I can do is stand there and be with her. And ironically, when people are going through something like that, the more they're accepted for the grief they're feeling, the more, the more easily they will eventually move out of it, the, the more easily it will mm-hmm. heal. Um, because if we're told, I know, I can remember, like people are, can be very uncomfortable with grief and sadness. And it's not that I'm advocating that people are always unhappy, but there are things in life while we're still human that will bring out sadness for us or grief. And if we're not comfortable with that ourselves, in ourselves, we will be very uncomfortable with that in other people. Mm-hmm. I can remember um, my husband's mother passed away about 10 years ago after quite a long illness. And um, so the morning after her death, I was in the local village going to get some flowers for the wreath, for the, for the grave. And um, I was obviously looking a bit sad and also exhausted because we hadn't had sleep. And uh, somebody... I was crossing the road and somebody said, cheer up. <laughs> uh, so we're not comfortable with the whole spectrum of our humanity, I think, quite often. And I think, again, mindfulness can help us with that. It's stepping back. It's observing it, bringing source into it and feeling the love of source. One thing you said there about the love of source, and I found it a helpful way for myself to sometimes reframe situations where I might, and certainly our political landscape gives us plenty of opportunities to practice. Especially in this country. Um, And, but, well, I think in every country, but it's very easy to get into, even if we don't like somebody's actions, then it's very easy to label them as bad or as unworthy or as almost thinking, well, they're not worthy of God's love or that kind of thing. And so sometimes I'm, I just remind myself, you know, in the eyes of source or in the eyes of God, the greatest, what seems to me the greatest villain 
is equally valuable and precious as what seems to me the greatest saint. And I think it just helps me to realize, okay, I may not approve of somebody's actions or words, but I really have no right to assess their worth as anything less than the way Source would see them and as Source created them. And so sometimes for me, that's part of my mindfulness now is becoming aware of that, where I'm inclined, you know, it's so easy sometimes to dismiss people Mm -hmm. and see some people as more worthy than others or some actions are more worthy than others. So it's something that I've noticed myself reminding myself of and noticing when I do judge somebody. As I say, it's not about necessarily approving of action, but if I use that in my own mind to assess somebody's worth, then I'm not seeing them. I think we covered enough for this podcast. There is much more that's likely to come through in later podcasts. So for now, we just want to say thank you for listening and namaste. You've been listening to the Highest Road Podcast. We welcome your comments, questions, and feedback. Please contact us via our website, www.thehighestroad.com, or through our email at highestroadpodcast at gmail.com. We invite you to visit our website for additional meditations, blogs, and tools to assist in your journey. Blessings on your path as you walk the highest road.